In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text of the readings you've heard, you may be seated. When the Israelites asked Samuel for a king, he warned them about all that that entailed. A king would conscript their sons into their army. The implication, of course, is that many of them would fight and die fighting against the enemies of Israel. A king would also take the daughters of Israel to be servants in his palace. A king would also take the servants and the vineyards and the fields and the flocks of Israel as tribute to the monarchy. He concluded this warning saying, And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people of Israel were not interested in Samuel's warning. They wanted a king. They wanted to be just like all the other nations. God told Samuel to take heart that they had not rejected him, but they had in fact rejected God himself as the ruler of the nation. But this would not be the last time that Israel would reject its God. As part of the custom of the Passover, as we heard, Pontius Pilate would release a prisoner as a gesture of goodwill to Israel. But instead of choosing to release the one who was called the king of the Jews, the Israelites chose Barabbas, a robber. Instead of choosing to be under the rule of the king God had sent to them, they rejected their God-king in favor of an earthly king of their choosing, who styled himself as a god. Unfortunately, this is not the last time that the people of God would reject their god and king. The great philosopher Voltaire once wrote, In the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. The rejection of God and his son as king in both the Old and in the New Testaments reveals the true location of our sin problem. This is the original sin and the stuff that our sin today is made of. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree in the garden, they had rejected their God as king. But in the same way, every time that we sin, we're doing the exact same thing. Every sin is a rejection of the first commandment and thus a rejection of God himself. The commandments 2 through 10 are all just an unfolding of what it means to have no other gods. So when St. James tells us that whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point is guilty of breaking all of it, this is what that verse means. This verse, of course, is often pulled out to show the seriousness of all sins, which is true, but it also emphasizes to us that the commandments are not isolated units, that if you break one, you're okay in the other areas, and that's the only problem that you have. In fact, it's actually quite the opposite problem. For right after James makes this claim about breaking all of the law, but keeping, or keeping the whole law at one point and thus breaking all of it, he says this, For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. When we sin, 
The sins are first and foremost against God, as David himself confessed and as he teaches us also to confess in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned, O God, and done what is evil in your sight. So when I'm lazy in my duties as a father or a pastor, my family or this congregation are certainly casualties of my sin. But my sin is first and foremost against my God. Or if I steal something that is not mine, I have made that thing my God. If I were to give myself over to adultery, I have made that person my God. I have replaced the one true God with whatever or whoever it is that I've given my affection to. When Peter preached at Pentecost, our epistle reading was part of that sermon, by the way, he accused his hearers of crucifying Jesus. That even if those people who heard Peter were not actively playing a role in the death of the Savior, their sin is really what put Jesus on the cross with the charge, the king of the Jews, over his head. Dear friends in Christ, this accusation is not just aimed at them at the house of Israel, but it's aimed at you and me too. We have rejected our king, and he is crucified for our sins. He came to his own, and his own people received him not. But the God who works all things together for good, for those who are called according to his good purpose, used this rejection for the ultimate good. Had Christ not been rejected, had the people all recognized and confessed him as their God and king, I think it's arguable that he would not have fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies that foretold that he must be rejected. He would not have died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. By his rejection and by his death that resulted from that rejection, you have been received into full communion with God. You have been reconciled to God through the flesh and blood of Jesus at the cross. You who are far off have now been brought near to God through the death of Jesus. People loved by God. Jesus was rejected that you would not be rejected by the Father in heaven. As St. Paul declares, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. By this reconciliation to God, you have been presented as holy and blameless and above reproach before the Father in heaven. He has received you into his kingdom. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.